Previously on the Bite-Sized Bible. Nah, I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm Mark Dickey. Glad you could join us for this episode of the Bite-Sized Bible. The last three episodes, we've painted in big, broad strokes the story of God, mankind, and his son, Jesus. And uh, we've been focusing on what we believe are the key concepts to the narrative of Jesus. And in this episode, we're going to conclude the story of Jesus. If you're just checking us out for the first time, definitely go back to the first episode because we have covered so much. So I'm here with Matt Windsor and Trevor Ewing. These are the two that really helped me understand the Bible when I was in high school. And they still do that through the ministry of Young Life. Uh, Guys, great to have you here. Good to be here. Thanks, Mark. (laughs) bet. What's something... What is so special about Young Life that makes you guys want to be a part of it after all of the, I mean, how many years has it been for each of you involved in the ministry? Involved? Yeah. So for me, I first came to Young Life in 2003 when I was a junior in high school. Uh, but 17 years. 17 years. Yep. 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 Been on staff for 10 now. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, it was 01. I started volunteering hmm. maybe a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, have been involved in some way, shape or form since so what i mean what makes it different that like you wouldn't just do uh you wouldn't just work at a church doing ministry uh being a a, a pastor or a youth pastor like what's what's special about young life yeah i think that's a really good question um i i mean i think i kind of view myself as working with the church right like so like young life the beauty of young life is that i don't have to ask the question of why not a church but i just get to say I'm out of the church building. So I, I have the privilege of looking at the entire campus of a high school and saying, I want all of those students yeah. to come to a church um, and the freedom with the partnership of the churches in the community of Tulpa County to say, I'm going to go and build relationships with them, with my team of leaders, volunteer leaders, uh, friends, and some other staff people in Young Life that we're going to build relationships where those students are and bring them into the church. So um, I think the special thing is that I'm constantly at the school and around students, constantly able to go and be where students are in partnership with the church, even though I might not always be at the church. Yeah. I think for me, just the the laser focus of the gospel, Young Life specializes in bringing the gospel to adolescents in a way that they can grab a hold of it in a way that they can understand. Hmm. Um, and I just so am in love with the gospel that being able to present that week in and week out. Um, you know, so your question, you know, to, to Trevor's point, like, yeah, we're, we're part of what the church is doing. Uh, but if you're working in a church, there are so many other things that you need to worry about and focus on because you're equipping the saints, mm-hmm. if you will, in the church. Yeah. Uh, but in Young Life, it's the gospel. Yeah, you we're know, the first baton on the th- right. on the race, right? You know, we're the so, guy that runs the first leg of the race with the baton yeah. and grabs them, but it's the gospel. We put it in the students' hands we, right. and we pass it off. Yeah. yeah. So being able to focus on the gospel solely uh, is a beautiful thing for me. That's cool. So today is the conclusion of the story of Jesus as it pertains to the general story, if you will. And I say it that way because the Bible does mention Jesus after what we're going to talk about today, uh, but it's in a time in the future. Yes, the Bible also takes place in the future as well. Kind of weird, but I swear it makes sense when you study it. That's the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible and definitely not a place that you want to spend a lot of time studying at the beginning of your faith journey. Uh, But today, we're not going to worry about that. We're going to be talking about what happens after Jesus dies on the cross. In the last episode, we 
got to the point where Jesus goes, he's in the trial and mm-hmm. they decide to crucify him. Right. And so uh, for the sake of this podcast, there's a whole lot of, a couple other things that happen in between extra details here. But, but the long story short is he goes Jesus to the cross, goes to the cross. He, he's hung on the cross. Right. And uh, a couple things happen there. Um, one of those things is there's a moment where he cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, and what is happening w- when he says that? Basically, for the first time in, in Jesus' life uh, of 33 years at this point as a human, what he's feeling is, is, the, is the, the, the weight of sin of mankind on himself. And what that, what that weight of sin is, we talked about a couple episodes ago, was that sin is separating, right? Like sin is separating. So for the first time, Jesus in his life doesn't have the presence of his father hmm. with him in that moment. And it's just like a son crying out for his father in the middle of the night waking up from a dream that's not a good that's not a good dream he just mm. says where are you where are you dad and so it's this really kind of uh critical it's absolutely a critical moment faith yeah. hinges in this moment but it's also a very hard moment to think about and contemplate that for the first time he felt loneliness and isolation mm. and was just longing to know where he where his father had gone right and and especially for the first time like you talked about the first time in 33 years, but it's it's really the first time in eternity. In eternity, you know, wow. <laughs> right? So, yeah. right. so it's a it's a much larger chasm, you know. So, so when you look right. at it and go, oh man, but but it was it was totally necessary, like you said, you know that that the weight of sin had to bear on Jesus because we talked about him being the final sacrifice, right. the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there he is hanging on the cross. All of you know all of the world's sin, past, present, and future, uh, is reconciled right there at the foot of the cross. Yeah, like um, what, what you did last week or last year, like was included. Yeah, in that weight that he was feeling in that moment, and what we're doing here in 2020, which is mind blowing. Right, like in that moment, all eternity, past, present, and future is sitting on his shoulders. Yeah. And the complete absolving of it is happening. Yeah. Sometimes I can't carry the weight of a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you know? the groceries are too heavy. Right. Right. And then he dies. Right. Right. He, it says he breathes his last. So he's on the cross. That moment happens, and he dies. Right. And it says that he needs to die. Right. It says for the, like, unless a grain of wheat, a, a kernel of wheat, falls into the ground and dies, it never grows new. Right. And so Jesus constantly talks about how his life and new life is coming, but in order for that life to come, he has to be put to death. So he dies, and he's laid in the tomb, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but before we skip dying, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens at the death of the oh, Son yeah. of God. You know, <laughs> I mean, we're talking the earth shaking. We're talking about the you know the the veil in the temple being right. torn a from top to bottom perfect curtain right um, that would for no reason would ever rip unless somebody was pulling on it really really hard right. even an earthquake wouldn't rip right you know so so there's you know there's this moment where not only does all of humanity realize that there's something there's a reckoning happen happening but but even creation even earth itself uh, is oh. is groaning that that death of the first son so when we think about that, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of implications that, that happen there. And then he's taken off of the cross and laid in a borrowed tomb. Uh, so it wasn't, even, it wasn't even his. It was just, a, you know, a friend of the faith that said, hey, I've got, this, I've got this tomb. 
you can you know you can lay him there right where he gets dressed in appropriate burial attire and is laid in there for several days you know it's a friday that this happens and he's laid in there until sunday morning right so three days in the tomb and i think it's necessary for us to remember that like as a part of his his death on the cross there are a couple of like actual flesh wounds that happen like and and the only reason i say that is because like that means that there would have been bloodied cloth Mm -hmm. that he was wrapped in Mm. that's just important later in the story obviously we don't want to we want to leave bring some details in that matter but like so he's he's buried and wrapped in a linen and laid in the tomb by the end of that day per Mm -hmm. tradition so he goes into the tomb on a friday and then for three days he's there which means that for three days the disciples they go and hide they're literally like kind of lost don't know really what to do at all like oh no he actually he's actually gone yeah like yeah. we we followed this guy around for three years we thought that he was going to be something mm-hmm. and now he's just uh you know a dead criminal yeah so i mean so it it seems as if the story's over it seems as if everything that they have done everything that they've worked for everything that they've learned is just all trash mm-hmm. uh, at this you know at this moment and like we said before we have the advantage of being able to read the the bible in its entirety and we don't have to like pause and you know and and wait three days for you know yeah. for something <laughs> new to you know to happen um but the disciples didn't right. so they're you know they're just kind of Hey, up in the air. What do we What do we do? Yeah, um, let's and like, high. where do we go? Like, a lot of those guys had like given up everything. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like not just what, what you know, like what do we do? Like, where do we go? Like, I don't have anything. Right. Who's got a house I can scratch at for a couple of days? So <laughs> I figure this out. Right? And if somebody if somebody identifies them as, hey, they they were one of Jesus's people, they may be put to death hmm. because they they may go the you know they may be given the same treatment as their you know as their rabbi or their master right and by the time they try to figure all that out something crazy happens yeah right they uh go to the tomb yeah yeah, not even they there's someone that's at the tomb she yeah is at the tomb and i think that's pretty critical piece of the story like like because because it does a couple things one it's 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 mary magdalene right that she's at the tomb she's there because at the third day she was allowed to to do some do some things to the body culturally she sees that the tomb door or the the door <laughs> this giant rock that they called a door then was yeah. heavy they rolled into this 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 crater essentially in front of the tomb and closed the hole and sealed it and put two roman guards there both of those roman guards were gone the seal was broken the the stone had been rolled away and mary who is coming to bring basically bring flowers to put on the grave yeah. is is there and she sees this and she is just shocked mm-hmm. she's shocked she had she had the gall to go. Yeah. She had the audacity to leave the house. I don't care if people see me. I'm going to go do what's right for my friend. But then she runs back and she tells the disciples, hey, they've taken him. And then a couple of the disciples come, right? So then they come running. And then some, some, some crazy stuff happens. Like um, they race there. One of my favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they race there. And, uh, and, and, and it says like the one who Jesus loved got there first, right? Basically, in that, in that, in that, how it goes down, um, and they see in the tomb a that it is empty. There's no body there, but they also see the burial cloth has been folded up and set back on the ledge where he was, right? And so that begins to beg a question of like, who took him from them, their perspective? Yeah, and 
if they took him, why would they undress him? Right. Unless. And, um, and why would they take the time to sit there and fold up his clothes and, and lay them where he was? Right. Right. And there's some other questions we can unpack, but we'll leave some of the details out. But it's more so, this is happening, and the disciples get there, and they kind of freak out. Mm-hmm. They say, we've got to find this. We've got to find what's happened. Yeah. Right? But that's not where the, the story of the tomb ends, right? Those two disciples who eventually get into the tomb, see all these things, they leave, and they're running back to the other disciples to basically be like, hey, this is wrong. We've got to figure this out. However, Mary stays there, and she's... She's weeping, just crying. And she looks into the tomb, and she sees an angel in the tomb, and he says, why do you look for the living among the dead? And she's still upset. She turns around, and she sees who she thinks is the gardener, and this gardener says, whom are you looking for? And she, I can imagine, if you ever cried hard enough, you know that your your vision is a little bit blurry while you're crying. She's grieving, thinking that something awful's happened to his body. She probably looks at him and says to this guy, whom she thinks is the gardener, she says to this guy, where have you taken him? Just tell me where you put him. Just tell me where you put him. Hmm. And basically, I'm not going to do anything about it. And then one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture, my personal opinion, he says, Mary. And it's Jesus. And she screams out, teacher. Hmm. She didn't recognize his voice when he says, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Right? Five words. One word, Mary. And she just screams, teacher, and grabs him. Mm. So, he's, he raises from the dead. He comes back out of the tomb. And Mary is there. And Mary is the first person that the God of the universe interacts with. Now, I mean, like, I, I've seen movies... I've heard stories where people come back to life and it's usually just some sort of magical like, and they lived happily ever after. Like, this is great. You know, we thought we lost someone and we didn't. But the Jesus coming back to life isn't that story. There's a deeper story being told when that happens. And and it's the this idea where, you know, we, we look at 1 Corinthians 15 and if you start in verse 12, it says this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. More than that, we are, found, we are then found to be false witnesses of God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. And, and we are all still in our sins. So when you're looking at it, it is saying, hey, all of the stuff that Jesus did, we're talking the miracles, we're talking the feeding of the 5,000, you know, you, you name it. Anything that Jesus did while he was on earth. If Jesus does not resurrect from the dead, none of it matters. It's all for nothing. So when we're talking about the resurrection, it is, you know, kind of the defining space of Christianity and faith in God that departs from any other faith 
culture, any other religion mm-hmm. in the world, that the resurrected Christ is here. And without that, our faith is, is futile. Our faith is nothing. So we have, to, we have to look at the resurrection as kind of the penultimate piece of our faith. He took on the sin of the world and it killed him. And so the way that I always remember it is Jesus coming back from that is him defeating death. Yeah. Like, and defeating you know, the penalty o- of sin, death. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Like, mm-hmm. like if the weight of every sin of mankind killed Jesus and, it, and he didn't stay dead, then that means like through Christ we can, <laughs> we can do anything. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, it talks about in in Romans eight eleven. It talks about that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the exact same power that lives inside of us. Hmm. You know, a lot of times where we go, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross, uh, and and then he resurrected. Really? <laughs> and then he, and then he resurrected, like like uh, you know, then he had a bowl of cereal, or then he made some <laughs> soup. <laughs> no, no. Like the he he was dead in a tomb for three days and he rose back to life. It's kind of, it's kind of a big deal. Mm. Uh and, and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't just treat it as, oh, he resurrected. Right. It's just not it's not just some like It's not a party trick. Right, yeah. yeah. It actually yeah. means something. It it does. It means everything. It means everything. And that's, uh, I think I, I mentioned it in the last episode, like with the cross, like, you know, that's, that's our symbol of Christianity, but like, that's just, that's just how he died. Right. Like the thing that really makes this matter is that like Christ died for my sins and he was bigger than that. Yeah. Right. Right. And so like the reason of like why that matters so much is because when we talk about that idea of sin, it's this idea that like we are like legitimately, eternally, impossibly separated from God because God is perfection and with one ounce, anything, the smallest minute thing that you can imagine of not perfection makes everything not perfect because perfection is is just perfect and if something is not, then it cannot be in existence with it. Like if I had a glass of water and it was mostly pure, but you dropped a little bit of toilet water in it, uh, I'm not drinking it. It right. doesn't matter how much toilet water is in there. Right. It's right. dirty and I don't want it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's a really, really simple way, an almost crude way of saying, like, hey, like that's our relationship with God. However, that is because the sacrifices that were happening and ongoing and regularly were were working but not fixing the problem of sin. Yeah, that's good. Right? In the death and subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can imagine it as a water filtration system of our life of sin that mm. when he comes back from that grave, he says, I now can take you and give you the perfection that I have and part it onto you through the blood that I shed and make you have the ability to commune again with God the Father so that we can turn and experience the presence. That idea of why God have you for Father, why have you forsaken me on the cross? What we have kind of been longing for without realizing it in our hearts all of our lives. Jesus now says, I'm back in community with him because I've paid the sin. I've kind of, I've abstained the problem, right? Yeah. Or, or uh, I've absolved the problem through my death. Yeah. Now you can have that too. 
So, so how do you get that? How, how do you receive that? I, I would say it's the hardest simple thing to do in your, in your whole life because mm. when it comes down to it, Jesus has done all the work. Everything that, that needed to happen for you to be forgiven of your sin, Jesus has already done it. So the only thing for us to do is to receive it, is for us to, to take it. You know, so, so when we're thinking about it, it it's, it's as simple as saying, hey, Jesus, I know that, that I've sinned. I know that you paid the penalty of, of that sin in my life, and I would like you to, to come into my life to be part of who I am now, mm. to forgive me from that sin, and I receive it, and I want to live in eternity with you from this day forward. And honestly, it's, it's about bringing everything that you know about yourself to what little bit you know about Jesus or about God, and then watching it grow from there. Mm. Because it's not something that you can figure out, that you can get all of the pieces in place, but really, it's just about, okay, this is what I know about me as a broken human. This is what I know about Jesus as perfection. And for the rest of my life, I want to learn more about my broken self and more about the perfection of Christ and bring the two of them together as I go. But it all starts with just the recognition of saying, hey, I know that, I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm a sinner. I want Jesus to come and, and walk with me mm. throughout the rest of this. Right. Um, like it's as simple as saying, like, like you said, like I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe in the works that you've accomplished through the cross and what your resurrection, how that breaks or rather fulfills the yeah. previous piece. So I believe what you've done. And Lord, now because of that, I'm willing to commit yeah. what I'm doing here now as to be doing it through you. Right, because like if you believe what Jesus has accomplished, it it begins to shatter some of the things you're thinking about. And what I mean is that like prior to knowing Jesus or knowing even what He had accomplished, life tends to be about whatever it was that you had valued. If we believe Jesus and what He accomplished by the cross, our value begins to change. Our value of a peop of a person, a neighbor, begins to change. Our value of of everything begins to change, and that's how we begin to live our life through Christ, because that can feel kind of nebulous, right? I, I, I've always, I, I mean, when I was younger, I understood the idea of sin, and I understood believing in Jesus. The whole thing about committing to it was different, but that doesn't mean like you have to be like, yeah, I'm like gonna get a Jesus tat. That's not it, right? <laughs> the reality is like, it's just going like, okay, how did he live? And then when he was here, what did he say about living? Yeah. Well, the reality is he broke it down to two things. He said, love me with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength, and love every person that you come in contact with as if you were caring about yourself. Yeah. Right? So it's pretty simple. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that what you accomplished on the cross was real and true. And I want to live by those two rules, love you and love people. In a nutshell, uh, a very big nutshell though, that's the story of Jesus. And if you remember back in the first episode, we talked about what it means to simplify something. And uh, I had my own definition, but Trevor explained it beautifully. Uh, for our, the purposes of our podcast, it's not removing details, but heightening the critical ones. Uh, there's a lot to the story of Jesus. In order to explain it simply, we just got to focus on a couple uh, of the bigger details. Um, and you may have already known a little bit about the Bible before listening to this. 
and you're wondering, you know, well, where's, what about, you know, Trevor mentioned feeding the 5,000, where's that story? And what about this, you know, what about Zacchaeus or the other characters? You will easily spend a lifetime digging into God's word uh, and discovering new things, things that you missed the first time or the first few times you read it. The best thing you can do is get plugged into a church or, or a small group or a Bible study or, or maybe even all three, just so that you can learn about this stuff alongside of other people who are at different places in their faith journey. And we're actually going to be covering that in our next episode because that's a whole other mouthful. And so we're going to cover it next time on the Bite Size Bible.